in verse eight, where he describes, here's an attitude that you should have. So here's how you do it. You know, an attitude is two things. One, it's a willful decision to look at a situation in a certain way. Okay. I'm going to, I'm going to have this frame of reference, or I'm going to have this perspective. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Salty Pastor Podcast, a podcast dedicated to helping you learn and grow in your faith. It is a journey you must do on your own. It is not work we can do for you, but we can come alongside you to encourage you, challenge you, teach you critical thinking skills. Yes, critical thinking skills. entertain you a little bit on the way. My name is Jesse Mayer. I will be your host, and we cannot do the Salty Pastor Podcast without the Salty Pastor himself, Dr. Douglas Peak. Well, hello, everyone, and I just think it's great to have you with us. And remember, the Salty Pastor is all about helping you really think. And that's really what this is all about, that uh, we are engaging our mind. And the reason why is because Christianity at its core, Jesus Christ said, I am the truth. I'm the way I'm the life. He is the truth. And so there is a, a aspect of your mind that must be completely engaged. And that's why critical thinking skills are so necessary to growing and maturing your faith. Mm. So we are in our series, Don't Freak Out, all about discovering how to survive stress and pressure and even persecution. It's a study uh, of a letter written by the Apostle Peter to the churches in Asia Minor, minor yeah. uh, modern, modern day, day Turkey. Turkey. And there was persecution from the Roman Emperor Nero. And we've talked mm-hmm. about that a few times on previous episodes about yes. why and how that occurred. We are in the second half of Apostle Peter's letter to the church. What does Peter have for us today, Pastor Doug? Well, we're going to pick up where we left off uh, um, the second half of chapter three, even though a week ago we did all of chapter three. On Sunday, I was only able to get through about the first half of it. There was a lot to get through. A lot to get through, particularly in how to apply it to uh, wives and husbands. Mm. And now the same foundational truth to wives and to servants and to husbands is now applied to everybody who is a follower of Christ. So what is that foundational principle? Well, remember in chapter one, he starts off by saying that being saved or redeemed by Jesus Christ is a complete transformation. You have a brand new identity. You've been totally changed and you are, were once without a people. Now you have a people. You didn't have an inheritance. Now you did. These are all terminology for these people in the first century that is basically saying, look, you are now a new person in Christ. Then at about verse 13, all the way through chapter five, verse 11, he's saying, here is how you live out who you now are in this world, especially if you're suffering or facing persecution. So we covered in the latter part of chapter one, he says, look, here is what you should do to live out this new identity. You need to pursue holiness. You need to pursue community or church. You need to pursue maturity in your faith by pursuing maturity in your faith. What you're doing is you're preparing yourself for the suffering and persecution that you're going through. Then in chapter two, probably about verse 11 and and on, he says, uh, all the way through chapter four, where we're going to end up today in verse 11, he says, uh, here is how you live 
this new identity as God's people. Mm. So verses, uh, chapter one, verses 13, all the way through chapter two, verse 10, he's saying, here's what you should be doing. And then now he's saying, here is how you should be doing it. And so that's kind of where we're at. And he said, look, first thing you do, remember that you're a stranger and alien. Number two, live in a hostile, you know, world, uh, you know, uh, a pagan world. This is what you need to do by submitting to authority in the proper way. Then here, how you're supposed to live as a slave. Here's how you're supposed to live as a wife, uh, or a husband. And now we're at the point in verse eight, where he says, here's how you live in Christian community. And then finally the end, he says, look, you're going to suffer even when you're doing good. All right. Sometimes you're going to suffer because you're doing good. And here's how you need to live when you're persecuted and suffering. So everything he's been saying is built on this foundation he laid out in chapter one, Mm -hmm. which is salvation is a big deal and it changes you. Yes, huge deal. You are no longer without a people, but you are part of a people. You are being built into a spiritual house. Yes, a spiritual house. The first half of chapter three, he addresses husbands, wives, and this is as far as you got in (laughs) last Sunday's message. Yes, You got uh, just that far. So where are you going to pick up today? Well, verse eight, let's, let's begin in verse eight, where he describes, here's an attitude that you should have. So here's how you do it. You know, an attitude is two things. One, it's a willful decision to look at a situation in a certain way. Okay. I'm going to, I'm going to have this frame of reference, or I'm going to have this perspective. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, kind of, uh, at best way to illustrate attitude is, uh, in, uh, the story about Huck Finn and Tom Sawyer, you know, Tom Sawyer was required to go paint a fence and he didn't want to do it. Right. And so these other kids came up, said, what are you doing? And he starts saying about, oh, I'm having the best time of my life. I'm learning stuff and I'm doing things. And before you know it, because he had a different attitude about it, he had all these neighborhood boys paying him to paint the fence. Right. And that's what attitude does. It changes your perspective about a situation. And so he's saying, here's how you do it. You change your attitude. Finally, all of you be like-minded and sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. So what he's saying is you're supposed to change your attitude, but what are you supposed to change your attitude towards? The church, this community of believers that you're a part of. Now, why were they struggling with this, uh, attitude. Well, the reason why is because Nero initially rounded up a few Christians in Rome, right? Mm -hmm. To blame for his tragic fire. He, and a lot of the Roman leaders thought, oh, there's this new weird cult running around. It's big enough that people kind of heard about it, but it's really pretty small. It's no big deal. So they would arrest people and then torture them. And then they would say, give up names of other Christians. Who are these people you're going to church with? What happened was, according to one historian, is this is how this persecution changed from, we're going to pick on just a few people in Rome to an empire-wide persecution. Because what happened is these people under torture and pain of death were giving up names of fellow Christians that they went to church with. And the Romans saw the list just grow, grow exponentially. And so they were like, oh my goodness. And so 
they then aggressively went after everybody because now they were also fearful, not only of, of blaming them for the fire, but fearful of, oh my goodness, these people that we don't like are much bigger than we ever knew and imagined. So what happened is he's saying, look, you need to be sympathetic towards one another. You need to love one another. And he said that for the sole purpose of these people were struggling with wanting to get together because they didn't trust each other. What happens if you get arrested? Are you going to sell me out? And then I'm going to be tortured and put to death. So it was a really frightening time in the church. He says, but you need to understand that your community is more important than you could ever imagine when it comes to bad times. Satan's trying to divide you and pull you apart, right? But what you need to do is stick together. So be sympathetic. Realize what your fellow Christians are going through, the persecution, the torture, so that even if they do give up somebody's name, you shouldn't be harshly harshly against them. Don't be insulting them. Don't be um, turning your back on them. Notice what he says is the reason why you want to do this in verse 10. Whoever would love life and see good days must keep their tongue from evil and their lips from deceitful speech. They must turn from evil and do good. They must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. So what Peter's doing is to encourage them in this rounding up people and sharing names and creating all of this fear within the church against their own brothers and sisters in Christ. He says, look, I'm going to quote from Psalms 34. So I'm quoting from something that was written a thousand years ago for your benefit and shows how important it is. And what is it? We must continually turn away from evil and deceitful speech, right? So we can't be doing things. We must turn away from evil and do good. So if you want to love life, he's saying, don't repay evil for evil, insult for insult. And this is really an interesting statement when you consider the circumstances, right? That people are being arrested and they're giving up their friends' names, right? Right. And yet he's saying, don't repay evil for evil. And what happened is something that was really interesting is that people stopped giving up names when they were tortured. Mm. Isn't that fascinating? Yeah. So this admonition from Peter helped them grow stronger, not weaker. And so then the people who are known as Christians, this is, this is one of the places where the culture started to change in their favor. It's like, man, those people, they not only love each other, but they protect each other. Mm. And prior to that, as a Roman citizen, you always had to watch your back, even from your best friends, because they'll give you up in the blink of an eye, Mm. you know, but now this new ethic came out of it. I think that's a fascinating thing. All because he said, look, no matter how bad times get, no matter how much you suffer persecution, realize that good days are ahead and it's how you navigate the bad days that make the difference in finding the good days. Mm. So how you navigate this struggle right now has a huge impact on the good days that you want to find. If you want good days, he says, then turn 
from evil and do good, even in the midst of this great suffering. And so I think that's a very critical point that he's making in this historical context. So, I mean, these people were suffering or persecution and sticking together was really important, critically yes. important, right? It seems to me that why, why Peter is saying this is it's how you should be sticking together when things get bad. Our natural tendency is almost to like hide and shelter in place alone, right? <laughs> yeah. Which is basically what the pandemic kind of pushed us towards yes, too as did. well, right? Was mm-hmm. go be Isolation. alone, isolate in your house. And Peter's saying, no, in fact, you should do the opposite. You right. should come together. Mm-hmm. So I think, you know, having friends groups, families, athletic teams, even work groups can all fall apart in the midst of a crisis, just like we saw during yeah. the pandemic. And these are not the things we should be doing. Why, why do people tend towards that rather than what Peter's encouraging us to do, which is to come together? Well, you know, earlier on, we talked a little bit about the principle of pacifism in chapter two and the principle of righteousness. And, and pacifism is a very unique ideology. And the, to, to really sum it up in a nutshell, it's the notion that human beings, all human beings across the board, are wired in a certain way. And so if you are passive in the face of any aggression, that is going to uh, fulfill the will of God and it's going to trigger guilt in the life of those people that they will stop. Now, this is different than in World War II and World War I. In In America, we had what was called a conscientious objector. And that is, is that, look, I want to do something. I want to help because I want to be against evil. So a conscientious objector was different than a pacifist, right? Right. And so so I want to do something and, but I don't want to go out and commit violence against another human being. So is, can you put me somewhere where I can help? And there's a big movie called Hacksaw Ridge with Andrew Garfield is the actor in there. And he uh, represented a real person, a real man. I can't think of his name all of a sudden. And so he went to fight. He wanted to fight. He signed up. He says, but I won't kill people. And he became a medic. And mm. he was so powerful in what he did. And he risked his life so much. He won, I don't know what it was, a medal of freedom or medal of honor, medal of congressional medal of something. Right. I mean, he, he, it was amazing what he did. And so that's conscientious objection. And that's different than pacifism. And the reason I'm bringing this out is because what Peter is advocating is not pacifism. He's saying, when you suffer, there's something you can do, mm. right? Don't just sit there passively, but you need to do something. What do you do? Listen to the verse 13. Who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you're blessed. So don't fear their threats. Do not be frightened. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. So he's saying Christ is who you live for. Always be prepared to give an answer to anyone who asks of you to give the reason for the hope that you have. In other words, you need to be ready at any given moment when somebody says, well, why do you follow this Christ? You can say, you know, today we would call that basically an elevator speech. You know what I'm saying? You got to have that. You should be ready to go and say, this is, I boiled down to this nutshell, this gem, this golden nugget, this diamond of why I am a follower of Christ. And he's saying, you need to be ready for that. Listen to what he says next. Do this by keeping a clear conscience that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. For it is better, if it is God's will, to suffer for doing good than for ev- than doing evil. 
For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. So what he's saying is even in the midst of suffering, you have an option is if you're a pacifist, then you will probably tend very easily to fall into a victim mentality, right? Mm. That I'm just a victim here and there's nothing I can do. But he's saying, even in the midst of the worst persecution, there's be eager to do good, be eager to, uh, exemplify that no matter how bad they make it, they're not going to break your spirit. So to speak. And so that's, what's really, really important. Some people, uh, become victims in the face of a crisis. Some people try and figure out what can be done, the right thing to do, the best way to do it, and then they go and do it. Mm. It may be the way to directly face the crisis. You know, you find out, oh, I'm in this crisis and this is what I can do. Like for instance, let's say you're in a dispute with a neighbor and the neighbor does something that's wrong and you can say, okay, there is a legal process in order to resolve this so that it doesn't degenerate into hostility or more violence or whatever may be the case. So I will pursue that. So you can do something in a positive way to resolve the conflict as opposed to doing something negative, just responding, no evil for evil or insult for insult. Right. You know? Um, so what happens next though, is sometimes in this situation, they're in a dictatorship. They had no legal recourse to do anything good. So what did they do? He says, look, go and do something that is good. Even though you see it as unrelated to the crisis, right? Why would I want to go and do good things for Romans when they're the ones over here on the other side who are persecuting me and insulting me mm. constantly. And it's like this, it's like, um, when a person falls into depression, right? Research says that one of the best ways to overcome your depression and get out of depression is to go and start serving somebody else. Right? Right. So it's a total redirect of your focus and your energy. Mm -hmm. And that's what Peter's getting at is that even in the worst situation, find what you can do, the right thing to do, and then go do it. So it seems like this teaching is saying no matter how bad things get in your life, there's mm -hmm. always something good you can go out and do. Yeah. And I think that's why when you turn the page to chapter four and you read verse one, the first word that comes out is what? Therefore, therefore is a big deal in the scripture, right? right? Because therefore is the word that says, okay, do this based on everything that I've just told you. So you can't forget what he said you have to be steeped in it. It has to have uh, invaded your mind and your values and your principles at every level so that when you think about what to do next, it's based on that frame of reference, not your own frame of reference or the crisis frame of reference. It is the biblical frame of reference. Listen to what he says. Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude. Okay, he's saying, look, when you're going to face suffering and persecution, you must have the same attitude as Christ. This will arm you. It will shield you. It will protect you in the midst of this crisis, in the midst of this persecution. It will be the thing that pulls you through. He says, and, and this is chapter four. Now we've yeah, moved chapter into chapter four, four verse, one, verse yeah. one. Okay. Yeah. Where he says, therefore, 
I need you to have the same attitude as Jesus because whoever suffers in your body ends up dying to sin. You're done with it. As a result, they do not live the rest of their earthly lives for human evil desires, but rather they live for the will of God. For you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans chose to do, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and detestable idolatry. They are surprised that you do not join them in their reckless wild living and they heap abuse on you, but they will have to give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. So here, this verses one through five of chapter four, Peter gives us the foundation for an attitude of strength in the midst of a crisis. You know, Jesus went through it. He went through something worse. So you can too, you know, there was a, a really interesting phenomena that happened in world war two in the Navy. And that is that all of these young men went out to volunteer and many of them lied about their age, you know, 16, mm -hmm. 17 year old boys serving in the Navy to go fight the Japanese in the Pacific. And what happened is, is that oftentimes ships would be sunk either by, you know, mines or, or by torpedoes or planes or other ships. And when that happened, all the sailors on those ships, right, would go into the water. Well, the Navy would immediately launch a rescue and sometimes it would take them two to three days before they could get a rescue place there, but they knew where the ship went down. They had a location on it. And so they went to save the men and they would get there. And you know what they found? They were fascinated by this is they thought, well, all the old salty sea, uh, sailors who were in their forties and fifties and have been in their Navy all life are all going to be dead. And we're going to have a brain drain for our younger sailors. And all the young guys are going to be there because they're young and they're vibrant and healthy. They can live in the water for three days without any problem. Right. right. Cause you can't drink anything. Can't drink seawater. It'll kill you. So you can't drink and you can't eat. You just float. Right. Mm -hmm. You know what they found? It was the young guys, the younger ones, that died the most waiting to be rescued. Why is that? Well, what they found is your capacity to survive floating in the open ocean is a hundred percent mental. Hmm. And guess who'd been through bad times before the old salty dogs, the old salty dogs. And they were like, well, they'll get here eventually. Sometimes it takes a while, but I just need to hang on. And so those are the guys that did what? survived the right. most. So what he's saying is the best thing you can do in the, in the midst of a crisis is have the same attitude as Jesus. He went through it and he was glorified. Mm. Okay. Just think if you go through it and survive, what great glory, honor and value that God will bestow on you. He commit it's commendable, you mm. know, to suffer. I think that one of the hardest things about being American today is that nobody has to sacrifice or suffer for their faith, you know, pretty much. I mean, it's not really that much. And so when you die and you go to heaven, 
all of those followers in China that made a commitment to Christ and were imprisoned for their faith and had their homes destroyed their, they and their families were starved by the uh, CCP. Uh, they had their churches when they would build one torn down. I think those people are going to be in the front of the line, Yep, absolutely. right? The people in Northern Africa who are being, um, uh, persecuted and murdered by the Islamic herdsmen that are being pushed down, like going into communities and, and destroying, you know, schools and hospitals and churches, murdering as many people as they can, kidnapping girls and forcibly uh, marrying them, these young 10, 11 and 12 year old girls. And so it's, it's those people I think are going to be at the front of the line. Absolutely. Oftentimes I, people have asked me, why is my faith so weak? And I've asked them a simple question. When have you ever had to sacrifice anything for it? Mm. And, and that's what these people are going through. And I think that's something that's really, uh, important for us to consider that you can sacrifice your, for your faith when it's forced or heaped upon you, or you can choose to sacrifice for your faith now. Right. And, uh, grow strong now so that you're ready for the difficulty. It's kind of like this. I can sacrifice right now by forcing myself to go to the gym, by controlling what I eat. Then when I have a heart attack or when I have a problem with my kidney or I get cancer or I get all that kind of stuff, right? I'm in much better shape to go through that physical difficulty because I am strong and I'm healthy and I'm prepared. Or you can eat whatever you want. You can never work, work out so that your lungs are weak. Your heart is weak. You know, your kitties are weak and da, da, da. you're carrying around 150 pounds of, uh, of extra fat and then you get sick. Right. Right. Then what happens? Well, you may not have the strength to pull you through that illness. And so that's, what's really important to understand is that's a concept that Peter is talking about here is that have the same attitude as Christ. And by having that attitude, you can discipline yourself. You can sacrifice for your faith now so that you are in shape, strong, trained, and ready when the persecution comes. So this final section of scripture seems to summarize everything he has been teaching up to this point. Mm -hmm. He teaches us how to face times of crises and how important it is to face them with other fellow believers. Absolutely. That's what he's talking about. And he kind of summarizes it in verses uh, seven through 11, where he says, the end of all things is near. Does that sound like a summary statement to you? A little bit. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the end of all things is near. The end is coming. Therefore be alert and of sober mind so that you may pray. Right. The point of prayer for them was alignment with God to experience God, to, to uh, have the, the presence of God made evident in their life. Be alert and sober minded so you can pray, be connected to God above all love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. Mm. So this is one of the most famous verses in the new Testament that people quote. Most people don't realize that this verse is in the context of Peter writing to a church that was being persecuted to the point where other Christians were ratting out other Christians. Mm. 
Okay. So he's not saying, wow, we love each other because we have this kumbaya fellowship <laughs> going on here and we're just so aligned with each other. No, he's saying love one another because love covers a multitude of sins. And that is the bottom line is when you're in a group of people, you're going to sin against each other. Right. right. And how do you cover that? You stay committed in love. You're, you're not going to be able to have a family, right? of perfect people. Your kids aren't going to be perfect. Your spouse isn't going to be perfect. Your, your in-laws are never going to be perfect, but how do you stay together? You love each other deeply. You commit to loving one another deeply. He says, offer hospitality to one another without grumbling, be generous. And then verse 10 is really the thing that will help you hit a home run in the midst of suffering. Each of you should use whatever gift, and he means the spiritual gift that's given to you through the power of the Holy Spirit. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received, meaning I've received this from God with the Holy Spirit's presence in me, to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. So what he's saying, I've been given a spiritual gift, and if I want to grow strong in my faith, you know what I need to do? I need to know what it is, and then I need to use it because God's grace is going to flow through me. And I'm telling you this, um, the thing you need to do is you need to know how God's grace flows through you to make a difference, not only to you and those around you before you get in bad times. Right. Right. Uh, a funny story about this is when our first child, my wife was pregnant with our first child, Zach is we went to all of these, uh, new parent, you know, classes, right. Right. So you go to this new parent class and one of the things they teach you is that, okay, when labor comes and you have the labor pains and all that kind of stuff is you got to breathe. Right. Mm -hmm. And so you have to go home. And so Kim and I would go home and she would go, okay, we got to breathe. we got to breathe and how you're supposed to breathe. You do all these different breathing exercises and we would laugh and then I would count for her and all this kind of stuff. And uh, it was crazy. But then when it happened and we went in there and she was in dire straits, you know? Uh, <laughs> and so she's feeling the whole pain of labor. That breathing stuff was really important. Real good. And it made a huge difference. And so training for it made all the difference. So what he's saying is, look, your spiritual gift is given to you to train you to understand how God moves through you. So that when you're in crisis or in need or persecution, guess what? That is the, the thing you need to use in order to experience God's grace in the midst of persecution. He goes, if anyone speaks, you should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. Mm. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides so that in all things, God may be praised through Jesus Christ. So everything we do brings praise to Jesus Christ. But that's what makes us stronger. This is how we have that attitude that Christ had that strengthens us even in the midst of the greatest suffering you could ever imagine. Well, Pastor, I just really appreciate you sharing these amazing things from um, the chapters and, and teaching us some better context, because I think that's the biggest thing we lack on a daily basis when we read the Bible is just really having the, the context, context of what this was written and why this was written, because that gives us so much deeper than, yes, these phrases out of context can still carry great meaning for people, but with context and really understanding the history behind it, it carries a greater meaning even beyond what we're 
initial thoughts were about yes. that verse. So thank you so much for sharing that with us. I encourage you guys to be reading through these as we mm -hmm. head towards Sunday, read through these verses over and over again, because that's what's going to help you really understand what Pastor Doug has to share with you and what he's been led to share with you this Sunday. Thank you guys so much for joining us. And we'll see you on Thursday here on the Salty Pastor Podcast. Blessings.